Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right. Welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I am your host, Mitch Robbins, and I'm the founder and managing director of the organization called the Anthony Michael Group. In essence, we help companies across uh, the MedTech space. That includes medical device, digital health, and diagnostics organizations to build high-performing teams primarily on the technical side of the business, areas like regulatory affairs, quality, R&D, clinical, et cetera. And I have the privilege uh, on a regular basis to host best-in-class leaders here on this podcast talking about all things uh, talent-related. And today is nothing less. We are joined by Mr. Brad Carlson, who is the global R&D leader over the neurostimulation division at a company called Levanova. Brad spent the last 12-plus years in the medtech industry holding roles like vice president of engineering, VP of R&D, VP of innovation strategy, and general manager for some of the world's leading medtech companies like Danaher and Vista Holdings, and now, of course, Levanova. Uh, for those unfamiliar with Levanova, it is a global medtech organization with a diverse product portfolio with therapies for both the head and the heart. And the company has a presence in more than 100 countries and employs approximately 3,000 people. And excited to get into today's show. Brad, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. It's really great to be with you. Well, and I appreciate it very much because I've known you for a couple of years now, and I've always thought highly of you and what you've done, what you continue to do uh, within MedTech. And so I'm glad to be able to share your story uh, at large today. You and I were talking offline, and I was mentioning to you just how much you've accomplished in such a short amount of time. I mentioned in the introduction, you've been in this business of MedTech for a little over 12 years now and have held some very influential large-scale roles. I want to go back in time, you know, a little over a decade ago. How did you get into med tech in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, my, my, my career has kind of taken me from, from academia and really a technology focus, and I can kind of explain how, how I started there. But, you know, with the, with the tech focus, I just felt distant from the customer, from the end user. And so, so you know, Getting into getting getting out of academia and the industry enabled me to get closer to the customer, enabled me to do more work at the system level, to have have more impact, more opportunity to develop systems that that can directly impact customers. And then as as I as I wanted to get into leadership, that led me to MedTech. Right. So about twelve years ago, I joined joined Danaher in their dental imaging business, developing Combeam CT. Started managing a small group of technology developers and really just focusing on moving the organization forward, focusing on problem solving. You know, I was, I was, I was elevated ultimately to global R&D leader and, and then general manager of the imaging business. And, and really, you know, it's, it's about serving customers. It's about contributing to society through uh, serving customers with medical devices. And, you know, I think, the, you know, be, being a VP of R&D, I got to play in a lot of tech spaces where, uh, wasn't necessarily my core, so it gave me a good general you know, background in a lot of areas, and that led me to Levanova, which is, you know, my career has kind of gone from a technology focus where I had my head down developing chip technology to to, to being at the front 
uh, of delivering medical devices to patients, right? And Levanova is all about the patient uh, experience, improving patients' lives, and and so you know this is this is a good uh, step to to get closer to to helping patients uh, lead better lives. You know, I, I'm always curious when I speak with folks who have been at this a while and kind of ro- rose up the ranks. I like to go back years and years ago to your childhood days, and I'm curious. You know, what was your childhood like? What, uh, how'd you grow up? What held your interest? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I don't think about it often these days, uh, but you know, I, I grew up in a small town in, in Northwest Pennsylvania. It's a farming community, a very small town, but it enabled me to have a lot of freedom to explore. And I spent a lot of time outdoors, spent, you know, playing sports, uh, camping, outdoor activities, fishing, and, and just, just getting out and exploring it to me. You know, that kind of uh, uh, d- developed a foundation of curiosity, right? And j- just having that kind of freedom uh, to learn new things, right? So, so strong learning foundation, uh, being in situations with, with lots of uncertainty, problem solving, developing that resilience and grit to get through, you know, those situations of uncertainty were, were really, um, I think, foundational to my, my development as a person. And then, um, you know, le- leaving that small town to go to college and then ultimately grad school exposed me to a whole new world, right? So, so you know, growing up in Northwest PA, there, there wasn't exposed to a lot of culture, technology, but you know, it was it was my high school years and and really my my high school calculus teacher uh, was an inspiration to me, right? And just the, my interest in math and science led me to engineering, and then as an undergrad, just trying to to take as much in as I can and, and moving on to grad school because I just felt like I was learning at such a rapid pace, ultimately uh, getting my PhD in, in computer, computer engineering. And I was really looking forward to an academic career, but then I felt something missing in academia. And what was missing was that connection to the customer, the connection to the end user, right? Dude? Yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. I do. How, how many do you have? Two. Too. Okay, and where do you fall in the uh, the pecking order? In the middle. You're in the middle. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just interested. I'm I'm one of three, and I'm the oldest. And sometimes they say, you know, certain traits, certain characteristics happen depending on where you're at in the pecking order. But I was thinking about what you said. You know, as a child, you're into pretty much things that most kids are into, either sports or, you know, outdoor activities, fishing. I loved fishing as a kid. I love sports. Did you find yourself tinkering with things a lot as a kid? Yeah. Or did you really not, you did, because you mentioned you're a little bit in math yeah. and science. I'm just wondering how far back you think that went. No, I think, I think my interest in math and science really peaked in my high school years and accelerated into even my last year of high school. And, you know, you know, again, I wasn't exposed to a lot of technology, but I was encouraged to pursue engineering because because I was strong in math and science, and, and it turned out to be a good fit for me. But you know, fortunately, fortunately, it was a good fit, and it, it, I think it's tougher for kids these days to really find their niche. In some cases, um, I was lucky; I found my niche early. I was able to to kind of navigate a path for myself that that felt right, and 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 that path ultimately led me to to doing things that had a you know working on systems me- medical device systems, but you know at the system level far removed from the the technology focus I had when I was in school, but at the same time uh, doing it from a leadership level, so mentoring engineers, you know enabling them to put themselves in a position for success, right? And, and to me, success is, is, 
is delivering a product, delivering a therapy, delivering a solution that helps helps our patient, enables our doctors to go treat our patients. And you know that's that's the um, that's why we do what we do. And you mentioned your drive and your desire to get into leadership and kind of how you ended up doing that. What do you enjoy most about it? About the actual you know so called leadership aspect? Yeah, I think I mean ultimately I enjoy delivering. Right, but 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 I enjoy enabling the team to to deliver that product, deliver that solution, and and we do that by setting the team up for success. Right, so I think you know it's it's um just having that having that ability to to work with younger engineers to put them in positions where they can be successful, um, creating opportunities. For, for, for people. And, you know, pe- people don't know what they're capable of until we actually ask them to do, right? And, and, and when we see that, when, when, you know, that's a, one of the moments that, that I really love is when I'm sitting with, with, with an engineer asking them to do something that they didn't see themselves doing two years ago, right? And the, you really see their wheels turning. I really do this. And then inspiring that confidence in them that I have knowing they have that ability. Uh, and then watching them start down that path and and executing on it is is really nice. You know, I think uh, you know it's I I give the team a lot of space to to solve it themselves, but I have to be ready to dive in and whenever they're stuck, right? And for sure, requires a balanced approach. It really does. And I just, so, how big is your team as of today? How many people do you lead? About eighty. Eighty. And what's the biggest team that you've led in your career? Oh, geez, probably 150. 150 people. So I'm trying to think if I was in your shoes, uh, how I would sleep at night and where and the amount that you have to trust, right? And that you've got, right. you're surrounding yourself <laughs> with good people, sure. right? Who, sure. who you can trust. How do you balance that as far as, you know, Brad stepping in and making sure that things get over the finish line versus Brad letting go and letting people do what they should know how to do best? Right, right. I mean that that's the tough part, right? Because because we have to we have to let teams execute, we have to let teams fail. You know, I talked about resilience and grit. Those are really important, and and we learn those things through failure and overcoming our failures, and and ultimately solving the problems and succeeding, right? And you know, we learn a lot more from failure than we do from success. And when I think about you know when, when I was actually developing systems, developing products. I'd learn more when when I had to dig deep in, into the system and solve problems. I'd learn more about the the details of the system than I would if I just built it and it worked right. So you know the, the, these are all important uh, discovery things that have to happen in the development of a product and in the development of people. So it, it's a challenge to have the right level of patience, to have the right level of impatience, right? To to push the team. And some nights I don't sleep. It's, you know, it's. Thank you for it's, being, uh, sa- thank you for saying that because <laughs> I'm glad you shooting me straight here because uh, there's probably a lot of leaders that don't. But yeah, I mean, just so much of leadership is, I think, giving the right amount of resources, the right amount of support, and the right amount of leeway to be a, to be effective and to execute and building that trust right between right. the leader and and people who are executing. You mentioned a few minutes ago that you get joy out of, you know, perhaps sitting with an engineer who is doing something that just a year ago or six months, whatever, didn't think they'd be doing it or how you're able to spot, you know, um, shining stars, so to speak, or soon to be shining stars. How do you spot top performance? 
What do you look for? You, you look for a record of achievement, right? But I think I think one thing that sets some people apart is did they achieve with significant obstacles or did they have to overcome obstacles in their achievement? Right. You think about, you know, not just what they achieved, but where they came from. At the end of the day, we're all, we're, you know, the best we can do is is understand who we are today and be better tomorrow right? It's, it's incremental improvement. And, and when, when we can see someone that's gone from, from very entry level to performing at a very high level, that kind of rapid advancement is a sign of real capability and, and a trajectory or, or a velocity to take them even further, right? Um, someone that starts with a lot of capability, you know, they, they may be performing real well, but their trajectory or their velocity was a little bit shallower because they didn't have as far to go right so so i think you know achievement and where they came from and then their ability to go overcome obstacles and uncertainty and I look for natural problem solvers right people people that understand how to break down a problem and identify the most critical pieces to go investigate right because if if we're if we're if we're investigating too many variables especially where the problem is just going to take too long so we need to be able to filter quickly, get to the essence of the problem, uh, and focus our focus our attention there. You know, I'm sure at this point you're managing managers or directors, or whatever, <clears throat> who are managing people. But as far as people, so I've got a couple questions about this. How much of of this performance and um, uh, ability do you think is innate talent versus you know grit and learned on the job and perseverance? Getting top performers. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, th- I, I think, I think there's a foundation in all of us that that can be cracked, and and people can can get on a trajectory where 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 they're really high high improvers and high achievers. I think that's possible. Uh, I look at myself. I don't see myself as any different than anyone else. I was fortunate to get the opportunity. I was fortunate to find people that believed in me and gave me the opportunity. But but I also I also did things. Right, that, that enabled their belief. Right, so so that's really important as well. You know, it's um, it's really about who wants to to grab grab the bull by the horn, so to speak. Right? Yeah, uh, maybe it's a bad analogy. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I see no. what you're saying, but I'm also thinking about top performance. It can be split up between functional or technical top performance and top and and performance as a leader. And I think a lot of times, as people rise to the ranks, I've talked about this many times. Some people think that. The only way up is to get into management because maybe their company doesn't have a high enough individual contributor position or they haven't thought, you know, that that's possible to to talk to leadership about the idea of a higher level individual contributor role. And not the truth is there's a reason that there's leaders and there's followers because not everybody can be a leader. And and I think a lot of it is uh, teachable, coachable, learn, learnable, if that's even a word. But I also think that there's some people who are innately more uh, geared towards leading. And I'm just wondering for yourself, if you always felt like that was kind of who you were, or if it's something that's evolved over time where, you know, maybe that wasn't something that even crossed your mind at the time to be a leader. And then some moment in time happened, you're like, this is really what I want to do. And then you put energy into trying to be as good of a leader as you could be. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think, you know, there are diff- different aspects of leadership. In fact, I, I would say everyone on my team, even an individual contributor is a leader or should be a leader in some respect. Right. And that's kind of where I started. I was a, I was a leader in technology development and I was a, I was a leader in 
proposing solutions with new technologies. You know, it's, it's a different style of leadership now. It's a different scope. And where I, I used to be very, I was always kind of very good one-on-one with people. Now I have to be good leading an entire group. And yeah. being it being front and center and visible to an entire group. And honestly, that's a challenge for my personality. Right. So that's what I work on as a leader is is how do I and I'm showing a little bit of, of vulnerability here too. And that's important because look, we're all human, right? Not as this is easy. We all have to work at it. And I think, you know, being visible, demonstrating to the team that I'm there to support them, I'm there to help them execute, enable them to execute. I'm going to support them, back them up when times are tough, then do the things that that they need in terms of uh, delivering to their own priorities and successes, right? So it's, um, I, I like to say that everyone on our team is a leader. We're all leaders in our own respect, but we all need to be we all need to be leaders and lead in the work that we're doing. That vulnerability piece is huge. I think so often, especially young managers, think that they've got to know the answers or they've got to be like the one always on top of the game, directing the show and um, afraid to say when they don't know something or afraid to show any type of quote unquote weakness because they're like, well, I'm the boss. They're looking to me. Yet I think it's that vulnerability piece that actually builds the connection and builds the trust say, look, I'm just as human as you are. I don't know all the answers. You better believe I'm going to go figure it out. We're going to figure this out together. But at the same time, challenging back the staff, be like, I don't know, but you figure, you bring me a solution. You don't always have to lean on me for the, for the solution because we're working as a team. I, so I appreciate you saying that because would you agree? Have you seen that in your career where especially younger leaders feel like they have to be the know-it-all for their team? Yeah, I, I have seen that. And, and you know, that, that can put an, an extra level of pressure on a leader, frankly, right? It's, you know, I think we all have to, well, I think humility is an important characteristic in, in leadership and we all have to kind of understand where we're at. It's, um, you know, I, I've always, I've, I've always lived with the, the, the approach that I only compete with myself, I don't compete with anyone else. And, and, because I can control that. I, I know who I am. I know where I am today. I know what I need to do tomorrow to be that better leader or that better engineer or that better person, right? So that's, that, that's my focus. And I, th- I think it, it would help everyone. It takes some pressure off of a lot of people if, if they had a similar type of focus. Yeah. Easier said than done. Easier said True. than done. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you focus on competing with yourself versus worrying about what everybody else is doing? Well, you have to have confidence in, in where you are to start with, right? I mean, you have to be confident that, that today I can deliver what's on my plate. I have control. I have my arms around the, the work that needs to be done. And then identifying those opportunities for improvement and, and just that commitment to continuous improvement is something that, um, that, that I think is really important. And we, we, we can all do it. We can all, you know, we can all get there. You know, I'm, I mentioned at the beginning of the show just the types of influential leadership roles that you've held, general manager, vice president, you're leading global R&D right now. There's a variety of aspiring leaders that are going to listen to the show. And curious, can you look across the scope of your career and pick out pivotal moments, pivotal moments that you think really helped you move up uh, the leadership ranks over time? Yeah, I think, I mean, keep looking forward, keep looking up for one. Right. Don't, don't underestimate yourself at the same time, you know, it be realistic, but don't underestimate your ability to get to where you want to go. 
and commit to continuous growth and improvement. Just commit to uh, doing something every day that's going to make yourself uh, a little bit better and uh, be comfortable with uncertainty, learn to navigate uncertainty, learn to live with uncertainty, and surround yourself with really good people. I've been fortunate to, to work with people that are a lot smarter than I am, and, and I learned a lot from those people. And together, we created some really good, really great products over the years. You know, it's, um, uh, we're, all, we're all bound or limited by our own ability, and it's only when we collaborate that we can overcome those bounds and we leverage the strengths of, of the entire team to, to kind of break through those limitations. Uh, those boundaries, and and that's just really key. And, and you know, I've, I've built that culture with my team that we're going to collaborate, and not just within our team, but across the entire company. We're going to be open. We're going to collaborate. Someone calls, we're going to answer that call. We're not going to say, "I'm too busy." Can we talk tomorrow? You know, it's 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 a mentality. It's an approach that that the team adopts. That is you know great for for uh, for overall execution, and it's great for morale of the team. And and it's it's really um, really great to see people grasp and and and, and adopt the approach. Sound advice. I, I like especially what you said about getting comfortable with with uncertainty. I think even in my life, I'm always thinking, okay, if we can just get X, Y, and Z done, then I'll feel better. And then the target moves, and it's like, okay, th- we do this, and the target keeps moving. And the moral of what I'm trying to say is, it's never going to be finished. There's always going to be uncertainty. The what ifs. And I think the more that we, uh, as humans, can embrace the fact that it's a work in pro- that we are works in progress and our careers are work in progress, and like you said, take a day at a time and try to improve on a daily basis. You do one extra thing; that's 365 days of improvement right there, right? Or 365 right. elements. So, really good advice. Looking back, are there certain moments in your career where you felt like, oh, I I took the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z, and that led to you know me being able to qualify for this role or I was asked if I would do this. Are there certain moments across your career as to why you think you are where you are today uh, that you took advantage of uh, took advantage of when opportunity struck? Sure, sure. Uh, ab- absolutely. You know, I, I, I can think of one uh, shortly after I joined Danner, we had, we had a major, major issue with a product that was affecting customers that it, it was outside of my responsibility, but I knew the company needed help. So I raised my hand, asked, you know, volunteered to go work on the problem. They gave me the resources. They they told me go do what you need to do, and you know, so so kind of just to just raise your hand, take a step forward. Don't be afraid of of taking that leap into the into the uh, the fire to to go to battle. And um, when you do that, when you demonstrate the desire to do that, people start to build trust in you. And then when you execute and deliver, it just, just just strengthens that, right? And we have to take trust in the organization that they're going to take care of us, right? That they're not going to let us jump in there and fail. Yeah. But but that's the leap of faith that that, that we have to take, and I think it's it's worth taking. There's se- several times in my career where, where I've done that, but what I would say in general, it's kind of do the job that you're that you want even before you're in that position, even before you accepted that role or been offered that role because, you know, that's proof in the pudding that, that, that you can execute at that level. So I am 100% on this at this point. And Brad sees me smiling. The, the audience who's going to listen to the audio doesn't see it. But 
I have interviewed probably over, across two podcasts and an older one in this one, probably over 60 leaders at this point, the VP level and above. Not one person has not said what you just said. And that is raise my hand, volunteer, put myself in a position of uh, some level of uncomfortability, something that I necessarily haven't done, but I volunteered, I took it on. That created more visibility, that created more trust, that created opportunity going forward. Every single person over 60 leaders at this point has pointed to that as a major element of why they're at a VP level or above today. So it's just so amazing every time I ask this question, because it's tried and true. If you're listening to this, literally over 60 leaders at this point have said the exact same thing. So good on you. And, and I love uh, what you said as far as, hey, I'm volunteering. I'm putting myself out there with the organization where we have to trust and support me. Because, uh, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. They're asking me to do something. I'm volunteering, meaning I'm volunteering to do something, but they've got to provide support just to not fall on our face uh, right. for sure. So that was when you were working for Danaher? Yeah, that was shortly after I joined Danaher. And then yeah, the it started to kind of line up from there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, it's leadership, recognizing, uh, recognizing the desire and the ability, right? And then just, just executing and delivering. The other piece of advice I would give, and I'm curious if you would agree or disagree, is I always tell people, especially like directors who are trying to become a vice president, I always say to the director, what is your boss doing today that you're not doing? And they say, huh, that's a good question. I guess they take care of, you know, it's more so the politicking in the organization, or in our case, it's more so, you know, they sometimes go to Washington and they're working, uh, you know, with uh, reimbursement stuff, or they're working with whatever it may be, say, okay. So start to figure out how you can get some more exposure to some of those projects. And you'll be taking a load off your boss's plate. There's mentorship there while you aren't naked to the world in that position. But start covering your gaps of what are you not doing today that your boss is doing. Right. And, uh, and that's, right. I think, pretty close to what you were saying about try to, to start doing the job before you have the job. Is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Kind of you know, extend yourself a little bit. It's, it's, you know, sometimes it means some extra work. and. Uh, but you have to be confident that, that the organi organization is going to recognize it, that people are going to reward you for the, for the effort. Big time. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. I, I give you a huge kudos to what you've accomplished in your own career and what you're doing with Leva Nova. Any last words that you'd like to say about either advice on leadership or what, what you're excited about as far as what's going on with Leva Nova? Yeah, I think, you know, from, from a Leva Nova perspective, it's really, it's, it's a great company. It's a great place to be right now. That the therapies that we deliver for intractable diseases like epilepsy are just, you know, some of the patient stories are just incredible. You know, you can go to our website. We have some videos recorded there of patients that have received our implant and, and it's had a major impact on their, on their quality of life, right? And, and at the end of the day, that's huge. It's huge. You know, I would say, you know, we, we build a culture. I talked about collaboration, but it's really a culture built around collaboration, agility, and transparency, and, and just bringing the team together, even though we're, we're, we're largely still remote and people all around the country that, that are on the computer, on video every day, working to, to design and develop our product. We have created a culture of unity, and, and it's really powerful. And, and you know, Levanova, we're, we're diverse by nature, united by purpose. Our strength lies in, in diversity of thought. And... So we can approach challenges with that variety of perspectives, you know. So I'm really, really proud of what we're doing there. I'm proud of my team, great team. And I look forward to the things that, that we're going to deliver in the future. Awesome. And if it's okay with you, Brad, in the, in the show notes, we'll put a link to your uh, LinkedIn profile for those that are interested in, in 
um, connecting with you and then also a link to uh, Vanova's website. Absolutely. Be great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here, Mr. Brad Carlson, the uh, global R&D leader over the neurostimulation division at Levanova. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mitch. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.